Right, so, yeah, the longest conversation had with Jesus. And we're going to look at the dynamics of this conversation that happens. And I'm going to use my favourite word, space. Okay, Jesus is creating a space for this woman. All right, I'm going to keep on talking about space. Because this conversation isn't so much an opportunity for the woman. It's not something to be grasped. It's uh, something that she's invited into. I think that's the difference between what's an opportunity and being invited into a space. If you're invited into a space, you can walk around in it and you can kind of meander a bit, get lost, <laughs> find the edges. But if it's an opportunity, it's a kind of a, an immediate thing. You've got to grab it. So this is a, I'm, I'm focusing on spaces that are created. The depth and the breadth of the space that Jesus invites her into is poetic, of course, because he sat by a well, all right? And this, a well, is a space. It's got depth, it's got breadth, it's got container, and it contains water. I, so I want to look at this, and I want us to ask the question, how do we hold space for each other? How do we hold space for Jesus in our lives? And how do we acknowledge the space held for us by Jesus and God and by each other? So let's first look at the space opened up by Jesus around the cultural differences between uh, the woman and himself. She's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. And this opens up just by Jesus being there, by being present in Samaria and sitting next to her. And sometimes... This is what we've done. We've shown up. <laughs> we've turned up and we're in the same location, okay? No matter what our cultural differences or our backgrounds are, and Jesus is just being with this person. From her response, we can already tell Jesus has entered into a cultural space that raises eyebrows. Jesus is always moving into new territory, both politically and culturally, not to shut down, but to open up. He does this with prostitutes, tax collectors, Samaritans. He's always entering into these uncomfortable locations and not going in there to kind of like tell them what to do, but to kind of invite them into a dialogue, something reciprocal. She challenges this. What is, you know... What's a Jew like you asking me, a Samaritan, for a, for a glass of water or for a, for a drink of water? And he, he doesn't engage in that cultural debate. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, this statement, if we're thinking kind of physically about things, doesn't have a lot to... To, to hold on to. What is this living... I can't, the concept of it. What's this living water? Who, who are you? These kind of things. It's like, it's not easy to grasp what Jesus is saying, is it? It's, it's ambiguous. It's kind of slippery and a bit like, what does this mean? And so therefore, the, the kind of the, the conversation opens up further with this kind of sense of ambiguity and mystery around this man that she's meeting and because of that it seems that she tries to cling on to something physical and notice the words cling on to grasp we all when we're using words we often do this we're trying to get into physical metaphors to understand things um 
So the woman clearly flounders in the depth and breadth of the statement and tries to cling on to something physical. Sir, you have nothing to draw with. You haven't got a physical pot. Where's your vessel? You haven't got anything to draw up this water with. And the well is deep. And then she asks, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did his sons and his livestock. So first of all, physically, you don't have anything physical to do this with. And also, we have this history that you're not associated with. So how are you going to do this? She kind of immediately goes to like a a physical space. And so when we find ourselves, or do we find ourselves holding on to the edges when spaces open up in our lives, in our understanding and in our relationships. When something happens and a, a void opens up, are we, what are we holding on to to try and get sense of it, right? How do we navigate? I think the main lesson, if I'm going to summarise the whole thing of this, is we enter into that with, with faith. That's what we do. We move into that space with faith. Like trying to get, get into, the, into the sea <laughs> when it's cold, you just have to jump in and get used to it and, and trust that you'll be fine. Um, which is what Jesus does. That's the high-level point of this talk. You can stop listening now if you want to. A similar exchange continues where Jesus, it seems, stays at the depth of conversation he intends to have with the woman. His statements are almost invitations to reach out and join him. And there's an element of a parallel with when Jesus is walking on the water... And Peter wants to like, yeah, I want to get out there into this space of faith and walking on the water. That sounds, that's just brilliant. And he gets out there and then it's the physicality of the waves moving that make him actually sink into that space and have to reach out and grab hold of something again. Okay, so it's kind of, that's just a side thing. So <clears throat> Jesus is entering into this conversation with this woman. He's saying these ambiguous things and she's just clinging onto the edges of like physical stuff. But... Jesus continues to hold it open. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So if the first statement was fairly ambiguous, this is no more concrete in in, in having something like if, if, the, if the lady at the well wants uh, a 12-step program on, on how to deal with the Messiah, this isn't it. This is, this is something else. And she continues to stay on dry land, as it were. Sir, sure, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here. She's thinking of the physical things. Great, that would be very convenient. <laughs> I won't have to come here anymore. I'll be first. I won't ever be thirsty ever again. So Jesus is, is, is holding open this ambiguity. This kind of, it's kind of, yeah, blurry, this space that he's opening up. And, and kind of, I think, I think we'd all take this stance of the, of the woman from Samaria if we met some strange man by a well saying weird things. We'd be like, okay, right, yeah. <laughs> Start edging, or edging around or, or tiptoeing around what he's saying, right? And so... She's not entering into the space. And so Jesus does something different. He meets her in the physical world that she's in. And in a way that reveals that he knows the breadth and depth of that space 
to. It's a kind of, if you want to stay there in the physical world, if you're not going to be invited into where I am, I can go into your domain. And I know a lot about that domain. Where's your husband? <laughs> right? It's like, oh, this man knows not only that I don't have a husband, that I don't, that I've had five husbands and the person I'm with now is not my husband. So it's like, if you don't want to come into this space, I can move into your space and I know everything there as well. And by the way, you seem to be floundering here too, right? You're out of, you're out of your depth in that space as well. So maybe come, come into, the, into where I'm trying to lead you, which is more of a spiritual domain. There is a way in which when we have a relationship with Jesus, it's not that we are just that we are invited into kind of a more spiritual place, but we also invite him into our space too. It interpenetrates, it, it meshes together. We're not just trying to emulate Christ. We're trying to get Christ into our world so he can highlight to us where we're over our heads. <coughs> Even here, after acknowledging Jesus as a prophet, the woman decides to enter into a debate rather than into an inquiry. She begins to hide behind an age-old polarizing argument. This is the argument of, should we worship on this mountain or that mountain? Which is an interesting kind of sidestep. Jesus says, I know everything about you, and there's kind of this... Okay, well, I'll hide behind, like, uh, something else. Um, you know, I'm going to put up an argument for you. I wonder if Jesus will take the bait on an argument. Because if Jesus enters into this kind of polarising debate, I can now just dismiss him as a Jew. Uh, well, you're just a Jew. You would say that about that mountain. And you would dismiss our mountain. But, of course, Jesus doesn't take the bait here. Instead, he rises <laughs> above the polarising argument. There's, there's two dipoles in that argument, aren't there? Is it this mountain in Samaria or is it this mountain in Jerusalem? Jesus says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. You could take that verse as something a bit provocative in, in this. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Okay, so the woman's held on to physical things. When it's been revealed that Jesus knows a lot about her, she puts up, a, a, she hides behind an argument. But Jesus rises above that and kind of peeks over the wall of that argument and looks at her and says, I can, I can still see you. Um, she, does, she has another tactic. She sidesteps, again, entering into any, like, this is a, a, a she's acknowledged she's a prophet, but then she doesn't inquire into anything about him or, or what he has to say to her, being a prophet. She uh, now projects into the future. I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So again, rather than entering into the space of growth that is opening up here, 
she now kicks it down the road to some future point. Yeah, sure, I, I, could, I could be vulnerable and I could grow in this situation, but I, there's going to come the point in the future where that will all kind of happen. Okay? That will all happen in the future when the Messiah comes and he'll deal with it all. Okay? And that sounds a little bit familiar as a Christadelphian. Yeah. Um, are there spaces opening up for our growth now that we could engage with? and find our way around? Or are we saying that'll get dealt with in the kingdom? Are we just kicking it down the road? When we get to the kingdom, is Jesus going to be expecting, why didn't you grow into this? There was an opportunity here for you to grow, opportunity, there was a space for you to grow into this, and you didn't grow into it. You'll have to do that growing now instead, perhaps. We might be changing the twinkling of an eye, but I wonder if there is also like a kind of a, some work to do on ourselves in the kingdom. How often do we use the promises of the future to hide from the present moment that requires listening, understanding, and vulnerability? I think that's what Jesus has done here with the woman. He's, it's, yes, it's ambiguous. But sometimes that ambiguity and that space maps itself out when we enter into it more. In, in fact, you know... We can't map it out from when we're like standing back from it and like trying to observe it from outside of it. But when we get into it and we inquire and we search around the space, what does it mean for Jesus to say he is the living water? And when we enter into dialogue with each other about what that evokes from each of us, when we find this kind of interconnectedness, we start entering into a space that kind of unfolds. Things emerge in this space. It's not laid out for us but it's, it kind of becomes emergent. Jesus ends by saying, I, the one speaking to you, am he. She says, uh, yeah, the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. It's just uh, uh, kind of comical that Jesus has just explained everything to her, about herself anyway. So the longest dialogue with Jesus in the Bible could be seen as mainly spent trying to avoid entering into any meaningful conversation with him. And you would too, if you were coming in the middle of the day to fetch water, a time when you were trying to avoid other people, to do a particular job. She's clearly setting out with a narrow focus to get something done and is met with someone trying to stretch and pull her focus into a broader, more expansive space. To listen to Jesus requires being able to stop, to be still, and to be present with him. All of the retorts the woman gives seem to be avoiding all of these things. So what can we learn from this engagement between Jesus and the woman of Samaria? When we are faced with an invitation to move into new, deeper and more intimate relationships with Jesus and with each other, do we cling to the familiar? Do we project into the future? Do we hide behind an argument or a preconceived idea about what's going to happen? Or do we open up to the living water that Jesus offers? Do we lean into a sense of curiosity? Do we enter the stillness? Not trying to fill the space by bringing lots of concerns and ideas and distractions and arguments and what ifs, 
but letting the space reveal to you what you need from it. I think that's what happens when we break bread. It's a moment that has a small ritual to contain it, to let us pause and be still and listen to what emerges. I've said it before, I used to try and fill the space with thoughts and ideas, but I'm more inclined now to just sit in the space and allow it to speak to me. From Jesus' actions, we see the importance of holding space for others. He allowed the woman to question, to misunderstand, to sidestep. He even lets her bring up their cultural differences in an attempt to be divisive. But he met her where she was and gently helped open room for genuine inquiry leading to spiritual truth. He opened the space for her to explore and come to the realisation of who he truly is. Sometimes, when we want to change others, which we do, we have relationships, we have all sorts of relationships, I wish this person was more like that, or I wish they'd stop doing this, (laughs) right? And... We maybe have quite a mechanical way of trying to change things. We see, don't we, as the, uh, uh, the superior one, that this person needs to go from here to here, right? If they, if they just went from there to there, they would become, a, you know, sort all their problems out and, and we'd get on better or whatever. And we try to apply a, a kind of a simple mechanics to it of... And this is interesting for me because it's a very modern thing, is in the last 200 years anyway. Newtonian physics, cause and effect, right? If I push this, it'll move. It'll move in a particular, and I can plot the trajectory of it, and I can, so with my object, I can push it, and I can do some maths, and I can know where it'll land, all right? Which is what Newton did with the apple falling from the tree and, and all those sorts of things, very mathematical. We see that this person needs to go from here to here. So let's apply the simple mechanics of Newton's cause and effect. And it confuses us when people push back or spin off wildly. They don't follow the trajectory that we think they're going to follow. It's like, oh my goodness, how did that happen? Because we're not considering the space we are trying to push the person into. What modern Newtonian physics does is it it considers cause and effect, push and it moves. It doesn't consider the space that it's moving into because it's often in a a scientific experiment where you've laid it all out and cleaned it all up. But if I try to push this into this space, it's like, oh, hold on, and consider this to be mental health, social constructs, uh, any, you know... (laughs) All the things that we're not considering, okay? So it's like my cause and effect is like confusing me because I'm trying to push it and it's like the space that we're being pushed into hasn't been opened up. It's full of stuff. And, and the woman at the well, she's in a space of, I don't want to come here when everyone else is here. I'm going to come in the middle of the day. I'm going to just get it done and move out quickly. And then she's confronted with this person who's trying to go, hold on, what's... What happens if we, you know, do this and move things? 
This is because we're not considering the space we are trying to push the person into, which doesn't have enough flexibility. This is most clear when we try to ask neurodiverse people to fit into neurotypical spaces. It's constraining and uncomfortable. This mechanical view is a pretty large hangover from the Industrial Revolution and on our worldview, and it's slowly falling apart in the world. I think socially we're seeing this fall apart, as machines tend to do. The alternative is what Jesus is doing, which is an organic... So this is a, me a mechanical understanding, which is like cause and effect, push it and see where it goes, and hopefully the maths will work it all out. Um, is, is kind of a, a rigid way of doing it. But Jesus, Jesus, I feel, is doing this organic thing. Because when, when a plant grows into space, it's able to kind of tendril its way and find its way into space and take root and grow. And imagine you're growing a tree, right? And then you, you also get a, a tree-shaped, I don't know, thing made of plastic. And you put it over your tree. And you go, okay, grow. <laughs> and it's going to grow into this tree, right? By providing that kind of constrained shape of what you expect it to be, it's not going to become a tree. It's going to probably die quite quickly. The tree, as it grows, is, is, is both moving forward and integrating and then moving again. And it's, it's this more complex and dynamic and organic way of kind of finding itself moving beyond itself into a new version of itself that is not preconceived. When, it, when, when something organic grows, it doesn't grow into a set shape. It finds its way beyond itself into something else, which is emergent and unpredictable. You, it has to have faith. It, it grows in faith into what it's going to become. It doesn't grow in a logical sense. As believers, we should strive to do the same with each other and with those around us. We can create an explorative space that invites understanding and deep conversations. We can encourage inquiring questions, not shutting down differences, but opening up to them. We can hold the space for others to flounder, question, and gradually understand. Yet, let us remember that holding space is not a blasé approach. It doesn't mean that anything goes. Instead, it requires an active involvement and attention. When Jesus held space for the woman of Samaria, it was not passive acceptance of her understanding or views. He actively engaged with her in order to help her transcend her misconceptions and guide her towards truth. There was a container set. It wasn't just anything. You can't just grow anything into anywhere. Like a tree will grow into a certain type of tree. The space Jesus held was one filled with love, respect and a desire for the woman's spiritual growth. Likewise, when we hold space for others, it's not about indulging every thought or viewpoint, but about creating a safe and respectful environment where we can explore, question, and grow together in understanding and faith. Holding space effectively <coughs> is an act of both love and truth. It's similar to the bicep and the tricep in our arms. Just as these muscles work together in an opponent process, so you've got this one contracting and this one doing the opposite of that and then that one contracts it so that's you know there's an opponent process here so to do love and truth work together to guide our interactions with with other love without truth lacks direction and can lead us to uncritically accept any viewpoint truth without love on the other hand can become harsh and unyielding causing more division than understanding 
It is the balance and interplay between the two that provides the finesse and dexterity needed to navigate complex conversations and relationships. Because we've got these muscles in our arms, we can have such fine granular control over how we operate. If it was just down to one muscle, you'd be doing this the whole time and it would be a mess, right? So let's create an an environment that encourages exploration but always guides towards the love and truth of Christ. This is the space that Jesus demonstrated at the well and is the space we should strive to create for each other. So, as I said, we're entering a space that this holds a container for, that directs us and guides us and and, and tries to evoke something from us, adduce something out of us. And we should inquire into it and its meaning here and now as a group. I've said this many times before. When Jesus enters into death, he's entering the biggest space, (laughs) the biggest unmapped territory that has ever existed. He sees the glory set before him, but he doesn't know the route through death mechanically doesn't have a 12-step program to resurrection. He just enters into it knowing that something will emerge and somehow God will hold the space open for him, that death will not contain him. Death didn't have space for Jesus. But God was able to hold that open, open the grave and bring him out. He emerged from that I see it in creation. When God creates the first three days, he creates spaces by separating. And then life emerges into each of those spaces. I think there's lessons to be learned here as how we hold space for each other. Because I think it's just, you know, social media has no space for nuance. If you go on Twitter, people are shut down immediately and people just fall out instantly because there's no bandwidth. And I think when we, when we have our own conversations and relationships, we need to kind of feel the edges of it and explore and, and try and expand them a little and allow for... And this it requires lots of training and listening and being able to be present with yourself. We'll, we'll move on to the bread and the wine. I hope that's been useful. Probably isn't something that comes away with like a concrete, like, oh, I know what to do now. But that's the point, I think. We don't have that. We, we, we're moving in faith into something that is scary. It's, relationships are hard and challenging. So I've asked... James and Dave to give prayers for the bread and the wine.